Welcome to the Newport Church Sermon of the Week podcast. Newport Church is a non-denominational, spirit-filled church, part of the Dove International Apostolic Network of Churches and Ministries. We are located between Mannheim and Lidditz in northern Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. We look forward to seeing you. And now, here is today's message. Uh, been able to see them yet, stop by on your way out today. Um, it's been awesome just getting that part of the renovation done. We have uh, more things coming here, so uh, we were get, able to get a lot of the offices moved in the last week. Um, and once those are done, we're able to start on the youth room and some of the, the Sunday school changes that are happening. And then later this summer, we'll be getting the wall removed here. Um, but we are just really excited because uh, this feels like kind of that, that turning of, all right, we have phase one where we got the chairs in last year, which was amazing. Um, I'm sure all of you appreciate that. Uh, that's, yeah, obviously it was an upgrade for us. Um, and then phase two, getting the bathrooms done, which has been awesome. Um, and we're kind of heading now into phase three of, of the wall coming out and uh, putting the, the removable wall in, and things like that. Um, but today, we want to just um, celebrate that a little bit. Um, and I want to honor, in particular, Bruce Shank. Are you in the auditorium? Bruce. Oh, there he is, Bruce. Okay. Perfect timing. So Bruce has been uh, doing so much with the building. Um, he's been our general contractor uh, for this project. And so everything from setting up the different uh, contractors and workers that are coming in to Bruce has been doing a lot of the details when something doesn't get covered. So, you know, when there's a piece of carpet that needs put in or there's trim that wasn't finished or things like that, um, a lot of that stuff Bruce has covered for us. And so uh, we are just so thankful and honored to have him. I don't know how we would have done this without him. Um, so, yeah, can we just give Bruce a, a hand? I just want to thank you so much, Bruce, for all your work with this. Um, and today, to celebrate kind of phase two being done, we are going to have cake after the service. So I was expecting more of a reaction from that, but there we go. All right. Awesome. Um, it's always good to celebrate milestones like this. So, uh, so speaking of dessert, how many people here would say you're a dessert person? Like, just raise your hands, dessert people. All right. All right. So it's, it's kind of spread out a little bit. So I need to preface this by saying this is a Megan-approved illustration. Um, she actually gave me the idea for this, so before you come up to me afterward and say, David, why did you use that? Did you run that past your wife? I did. She, it was her suggestion. Um, she recommended this, so. Uh, but there's just certain people that are dessert people. I am not a dessert person. That is not, like, I can kind of take it or leave it most times. I get a lot of flack from my wife on that. Um, she doesn't understand that. But there are certain people that you're just a dessert person, and you love dessert, and um, you can pretty much have it any time. And something I've noticed with, uh, with my wife, Megan, in particular, is that um, if we have, like, so normally with Megan, I do a lot of the cooking. So a lot of times I'll try to be nice. I'll, like, plate the food up for her. And I'll put what, a, what I think is a reasonable amount of food onto the plate. And, you know, we'll sit down to eat dinner. And normally Megan eats about half. And then she's full and she's like, I'm done. Um, and that's, you know, that's fine. Uh, I try not to take it personally that it's my cooking or something, but, um, but you know, that's fine. And then we'll get to like a holiday, like Thanksgiving or Christmas, and there'll be so much food. Uh, and you know, we all eat a, a ton and you get to the end of the meal and everyone's just kind of in a food coma and someone will always jokingly ask, so we're going to have dessert now, right? Like in my family, that's a normal thing. And everyone kind of groans, except for Megan, who says, yes. Absolutely. Bring the dessert out. Uh, 
And I think there's just something, certain people just have like an extra stomach or like extra space in their stomach that the rest of us just don't have. And so you get to that point of, you know, you're done with a meal and there's, you're still hungry for dessert. You still want dessert. You still, you still have space for it. Um, and, uh, and thinking about that, I, I feel like there's a kind of a, a spiritual lesson in that. Um, and we can get really filled up with a lot of things in the world. There's a lot of things that can fill our, our time, fill our attention, um, that we can try to even fill up that space, uh, you know, in us with. Do we have space and do we have hunger for the Lord in the midst of that? Do we have, are we filling ourselves up to the point where we don't have any more space for what the Lord wants to do or are we still hungry for what God wants to do um, and for the Lord himself? Like, do we still have that hunger within us? Um, so this morning, I want to talk about being hungry for God, uh, and I want to do this maybe in a little bit of a different way um, than it's been talked about before. I'm sure many of us have heard uh, sermons or teachings on being hungry for God, and this morning, I just want to take a, diff, a little bit of a different approach with that. Um, so we're going to start with uh, John chapter 9, so if you have your Bible, you can turn there with me, and we're going to read through this entire chapter so it's, it's, a little, it's a little bit long, so stick with me. Look at your neighbor. Tell them, this is going to be good. Here we go. It's going to be good. Um, we're going to get through it, and we're going we're gonna to take some time uh, just really looking at this story. So this is the story of the blind man that Jesus heals using spit and clay. Uh, and so we're going to take a little bit of time with that. So starting in, in verse 1, this is talking about Jesus. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. So take a second and just put yourself in the blind man's shoes. He is sitting by the side of the road. He's been blind from birth. This is the only reality he's ever known. And in the culture of the time, if you were blind... It was the understanding was somebody in your family or you had done something wrong that caused you to be blind. And so the, the people that would have been around him would have assumed that there was sin in his life or there was sin in his parents' life that caused for him to be blind. And could you imagine the weight of that every day, of having that kind of condemnation just constantly on you that everyone looks at you and views you as there's something, there's something wrong with you, there's something wrong with your family, and that's why you're blind. You, you deserve to be blind because of that sin that's in your family. And, uh, you know, you have to wonder, um, and we'll read a little bit on further where he has some interactions with the Pharisees. If he, if this blind man had had interactions with other religious leaders at times where they had used him as an example, and they had talked about this concept of if there's sin in your life, You know, the blindness is from the Lord. That's why you're blind is because God is punishing you for the sin. Um, And so just reading the story, I have to wonder if as Jesus stopped, if he just kind of thought, oh, no, I'm about to be somebody's teaching illustration again. I'm about to have these people talk about me again, talk about the sin in my life again. And as we read here, that's not the way that Jesus, Jesus responded. Jesus stops and says, no, that's not why he's blind. He's blind because the works of God are going to be displayed in his life. The works of God. God is going to do something in his life, um, and he's going to glorify himself through this man. Um, and so coming from a, a perspective of, you know, his, this man had lived with blindness for so many years, and all of a sudden Jesus is changing his entire story 
around this. He's changing his entire perspective around this. Um, so I think he probably got his attention <laughs> with that statement. So we're going to pick up here in verse 4. Um, so we must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So most of us, if we were to have someone spit in the dirt and then put that on our eyes, would not appreciate that. That would not be a, a fun experience for us. But back during this time, saliva actually was thought to have healing properties. And so as Jesus kind of, he kneels down, you know, and I'm sure the, the man was blind, uh, but I'm sure he kind of sensed the presence, sensed the closeness, and he spits on the ground, and he makes the mud. I think the man was starting to connect the dots of something is happening here. Jesus is, is reaching out. He's doing something that's going to change me. And so he takes, he takes the mud, he puts it on his eyes, and I, once again, I think the dots are starting to connect. And then, we're going to read here, it says, so he went and washed and came back saying, so Jesus said, go and do something. He gave him a, a, a step to take to act in obedience, something that he had to physically go and do, and we read that he went and he did it and he came back seeing. I think oftentimes, the Lord will have us do things not because we, he needs us to do them to have the healing, but because we need to build the faith to be able to receive what he has for us. So there's a, there's a step, there's a practical step of us having to act in obedience to something that God's called us to in order to receive what he has for us. And I think in this case of the blind man, that probably was part of what was happening there, is that Jesus understood, hey, this man needs his faith to be built up. He's, for however many years, it doesn't say how old he is, but um, he was an adult at least, for however many years, he's been living under the lie of my blindness is caused by my sin or by my parents' sin. He needs to take a step of obedience to break that lie off so that he can receive the healing that I have for him. All right, so we're going to pick up here verse 8. Um, the neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, it is he. Others said, no, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the man, which if you can imagine being in that position of having to like prove your identity of like, no, that's me, guys. I was the guy that was blind, but now I can see. So they said to him, then how were your eyes opened? He answered, the man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Salome and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, where is he? He said, I do not know. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened the, his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes and I washed and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this is not the man from, this is, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said to the blind man, What do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? He said, He is a prophet. So just to give context around that statement of he is a prophet, in that time, that was like the highest 
compliment. That was the highest regard you could give for someone. So, um, you know, in this context, he is, he's basically saying, like, this is a man of God um, for that. So um, it wasn't just that he was, you know, we talk about the prophetic a lot today. It wasn't just that he was one of many prophets that are around. He was saying, no, this is, this is somebody special um, that is from God. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but, we, but how he now sees, we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him, he is of age, he will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he is of age, ask him. So for the second time, they called the man of God who had been blind, they, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know that though I was blind, now I see. The man had a, a revelation. He's like, I'm not sure exactly who this man was or exactly what happened, but what I do know is that once I was this way and now I'm different. And I think for all of us, we've had hopefully moments like that, particularly in our, our walk with the Lord. If you follow Jesus, you've had that moment of saying, once I was this way, but now I'm different. Now something has changed. There's been a shift. There's been a, a transition. You know, you probably weren't physically blind, but there's a, you know, all of us experienced a spiritual blindness before we came to the Lord. Um, and so just that idea of we were once one way and now we're a different way. So verse 26, they said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I have told you already and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to be to become his disciples? And they reviled him, saying, You are his disciples, disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, Why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Can you hear the confidence coming from this man? That, you know, once again, he had been uh, reviled. He'd been a low member of society. He had been accused all of his life of, um, you know, sin being in his life. Uh, and now he's standing up to the religious leaders saying, how can you not see what's going on here? How can you not see what this man has done, that this man is from God? Um, there's a confidence that happened there. And once again, I think that confidence wasn't just that he had gotten healed, but it was built on a faith that happened as he acted in obedience. Like, he went and did something, and all of a sudden, it changed. So verse 32, Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, You were born in utter sin, and would you teach us? And they cast him out. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found, found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. 
Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. There's something that I really love about this story, or one of the things I really love about this story, is a lot of the healings that Jesus performs, you see the sick person come to Jesus for healing. In this one, we see Jesus going to the sick person. We see him taking time to, to stop and be with that person in what they're going through. We see him uh, correcting his disciples for a wrong way of thinking. We see him pursuing somebody um, who is in desperate need of love. I think for each of us, um, there is a truth there of the Lord pursuing us, of wanting to, to heal us of our brokenness, of wanting to heal us from the things that we're going through. I think one of the biggest keys to having hunger for the Lord is understanding that hunger for the Lord starts from a place of understanding how loved, how valued, how cherished you are by God. It starts because we know that to love God, we have to first understand that he first loved us. In 1 John 4.19, um, it, it says this really clearly. It says, we love because he first loved us. We love, we have the capacity to love because God first loved us, because he first reached out. I think a lot of times we can get into a mindset when it comes to hungering after God of, I have to like earn my way into God's favor. Like I have to earn my way into his presence. I have to, I have to do things. I have to read my Bible more. I have to pray more. I have to fast more. Um, all of those are good things. All of those do help in hungering after God. But if you do it from a mindset of I need to earn his favor or I need to earn his love, you end up going into a religious spirit of being like, I have to check these boxes or else I'm not actually loved actually, or I'm not actually living from a place of, of loving God. Um, and the reality is, we start from the place of being loved. We start from a place of being accepted, and then we move into a place of hungering for more, of wanting more. I think, um, you know, practically, if you think about in a healthy marriage, uh, when your spouse loves you, and they do things for you, so like, how many people love it when you come home and your spouse has like cleaned the house and cooked an amazing meal for you? Like, how many people like that? I love that. Yeah, right? It's amazing. You're, I love it. When, when Megan does that for me, I'm like, oh, this is the best. It's a clean house, a good meal. Um, if they're doing that because they're trying to earn your love, that's not a very healthy marriage. If they're doing it because they're trying to get, they're trying to stir up some feelings or stir up some emotions of like, oh, I just really wish they would love me or I really wish they would. Um, accept me or, or want to be with me. It's not a healthy, very healthy marriage. But if it's done from a place of, I want to deepen my relationship. I love this person. I, love, I know I am loved by them. I know that I'm accepted by them, that they love me. It changes the way that we view those, those moments of serving. It changes the way those, we view those uh, things that we're doing for them because it comes out of a place of us loving them because we know also that they've loved us. Um, and it causes us to want to grow deeper in the intimacy with them. It comes from a place of not trying to earn favor, not trying to uh, you know, earn 
I mean, maybe you're trying to score points with your, with your spouse. Maybe you're like, I just need some brownie points here. But if it's done from like a healthy perspective of like, I want to grow in intimacy. I, want, I know that spending time doing things that they love will help me grow in intimacy, will help me grow in love with them. Um, it can be a really amazing and beautiful thing. Um, and as a spouse that receives that, how much better is it when you know that's the motivation of your spouse's heart? Um, so first key to hungering after God is understanding it starts from a place of understanding how much God loves you, how much he wants to spend time with you, how much he wants to be you to be in his presence. Um, that's the first key. So this isn't something where we're like, spending time with the Lord and being like, oh, I really hope God wants to spend time with me today. No, we, we start from a default of knowing he loves to spend time with us. He loves to have us be in his presence because it, it takes us into a place of alignment with him, it takes us into a place of, of thinking in alignment with who he is, and then ultimately also thinking in alignment with who we are. All right, so we're going we're gonna to go to a very different story here. Um, we're going to turn to 2 Kings 5. And this is the story of Naaman. Um, and so we're going to start at verse 1 here. So Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and in high favor because, because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. And so in this time, leprosy uh, was typically a kind of skin disease. Um, it covered a lot of different kinds of skin disease. Um, we read about leprosy a lot in the New Testament as well. The idea with this, because Naaman wasn't um, quarantined or like sent out, um, was that his leprosy probably wasn't contagious, um, but it was some sort of really uncomfortable skin disease that he was suffering from. So verse 2, Now the Syrians on one of their raids had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel, and she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, Would that my lord were with the prophet who was in Samaria he would cure him of his leprosy. So Naaman went in and told his lord. Thus and so spoke the, the girl from the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, Go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he went, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten changes of clothing. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which read, When this letter reaches you, know that I have sent to you Naaman my servant, that you may cure him of his leprosy. And when the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and to make alive, that this man sends word to me to cure a man of his leprosy? Only consider and see how he is seeking a quarrel with me. But when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he, said, he sent to the king, saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Let him come now to me, that he may know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and chariots and stood at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a messenger to him, saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh will be, shall be restored, and you shall be clean. But Naaman was angry and went away, saying, Behold, I thought he would surely come out to me and stand and call upon the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. Are not the Abana and the Farfar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. But his servants came near and said to him, My father, 
it is a great word that the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? Has he actually said to you, wash and be clean? So he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God. And his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. So in Naaman's story, it's a little bit different, right? He's starting from a place of he's seeking out the healing. He recognizes that he needs to be healed. And he knew exactly what he, what he wanted the outcome to be. And so Naaman, you know, he's this great general. He has all these possessions. He has all these things. And uh, he, he, bring, he comes out of his place of strength, right? His reputation. He goes to, you know, the king of Syria. And the king of Syria has him write, or writes a letter to the king of Israel. And he goes to the king of Israel. And um, this is somebody that's communicating quite easily with the rulers of the day. And so his, his reputation his prestige. He's bringing all of this. Um, you know, he shows some humility in going to Elisha's house rather than asking Elisha to be summoned to him. Uh, and so I'm sure Naaman came thinking, this is pretty easy. This is like a transactional situation. I'm going to bring a, you know, essentially like an offering or a payment to this man. He's going to pray. He's going to wave his hand over me. It's going to cure me of leprosy. Uh, and I'll be on my way and it'll be good. And so um, he shows up at Elisha's house and Elisha won't even come to the door. So here's this great ruler, this you know, person that, um, it's interesting because in the story, you see servants kind of having input into his life. So he must have been um, like an okay guy. Like he, he must have had some humility that he was willing to listen to his servants, especially a servant girl um, you know, speaking to his wife, or he was just really desperate maybe. Um, but all these things that he thought, this is my value, this is my worth, this is what I bring to the Lord um, that's going to make me worthy of him healing me. And instead, what does Elisha say? Well, first he sends his servant to the door to talk to him. So now he's having to interact with the servant instead of the man of God. And then Elisha doesn't really care about you know, his reputation or all this kind of stuff. He doesn't care about all the stuff he's brought. He says, go down to the Jordan River and wash seven times and you'll be, and you'll be healed. Um, which feels, you know, probably for him felt really simple um, and easy. But notice his response is offense. He hears this and he gets offended because he's like, I, I brought all this stuff, I did all this work, and you're telling me to just go down and wash in some dirty river down the road to get healed. How often do we come to God and we have an idea in our mind of this is how I'm going to serve the Lord you know, maybe it's your finances, maybe it's your talents or your skills, uh, you know, the things that you bring and you're like, this is how I'm going to serve the Lord. This is how I'm going to uh, serve the kingdom. And the reality is it, it probably is a way that the Lord's going to use. Like, I'm sure he wants to use your finances. I'm sure he wants to use your talents. But we, we come into situations and we're like, well, this is how God uses me. And then God asks us to do something that's outside of that. And we get offended by it. We say, well, I don't do that. You know, maybe you're, you're really uh, pastoral and you love caring for people and you're out one day and you feel the Lord sensing to have you go up and talk to someone, you know, in the grocery store. And, and the first thought through your head is, well, I'm not an evangelist. Like, there's other people, that's their gifting, but my gifting is this. Um, and we almost can get offended or dismissive of what the Lord is calling us to. Um, and there's something about being willing to not get offended with whatever God is calling you to, but instead coming to him with open hands and saying, whatever you want to do, I am more hungry for an encounter with you. I am more hungry to be in your presence 
than I am to work out of my strengths or my giftings. And so however you want to use me. If you want to use my giftings, if you want to use the, the things that I've accumulated, the things that I'm good at, that's great. But if you want to use my weakness, that's good too. I'm willing to do that. And we see in the story of Damon that eventually his servants kind of talk him off the ledge. <laughs> they track him down. They talk some sense into him. He responds from a place of humility. He goes back and he gets healed from it. And so I think kind of a, a sub-lesson of that is even if you have responded in offense in the past to the Lord, there's always an opportunity to respond in humility. So even if you had a moment where your first response was offense, thinking, no, Lord, I don't want to do that. I'm not going to do that. You can always go back. God always, he's not going to, he's not going to stand there and saying, well, I gave you a chance and you missed it. So that's it. There's always a place of being able to respond to the Lord in a place of humility and coming back to him. In Mark 10, there's the story of the rich young man. I'm not going to read the whole story through here, but um, this rich young ruler comes to Jesus, and uh, kind of a similar thing to Naaman, he comes and he says, okay, I've kept, um, what do I have to do to eternal life? Um, and Jesus says, well, um, let, me get, let me make sure I get the wording right here. Um, you know the commandments, and Jesus lists the commandments, and the man responds to him and says, Teacher, I've kept all these things. I think most of us would probably be like, did you really? Like, there maybe have a little bit of doubt there of, okay, you're telling me you kept all the commandments, but if any of us have read through Leviticus or Deuteronomy, we probably would have some questions with if he was able to, to do that perfectly. But um, that's not Jesus' response. Instead, Jesus looks at him, and it says, he showed love to him, and he said, one thing you lack, go and sell everything, go sell all your possessions, give them to the poor, and you will have treasures in heaven, and come and follow me. Because Jesus cared more about the one thing that the man was holding on to that he wasn't willing to give up than all the things that he had done. And there's something about hungering for the Lord where we're willing to give up all the things, um, to, to give up everything, where there's no space that we're keeping closed off to the Lord using. There's no space that we're keeping closed off to him being able to work in. So I think uh, really practically when it comes to this. A lot of times we can take this and we blow it up into these major life decisions. And obviously the Lord wants us to act in alignment with him in the major life decisions. But so often we forget that the large, the big decisions in life are made by the small decisions we make every day. So you're not going to make the right decision on something major if you're constantly making the wrong decision on all the small things that are happening in your life. And so I think there's, a, there's something there where, you know, when we talk about hungering for God... We start from a place of, are we hungering in the simple day-to-day -day things that we do? And I think there's something really interesting. If you ever talk to somebody that's really spiritually mature, I would say in my life, like 90% of them talk about they get up early in the morning to spend time with God. And as someone who loves sleep, who loves sleeping in, um, I had this, this week, honestly, I was preparing for this sermon. I was going to go in a completely different direction. It's Friday night. I was looking forward to Megan and I are both off on Saturday. I was like, this is great. I'm going to sleep in. I'll like pick up sermon prep later in the day. It's going to be good. And God uh, kind of like, Holy Spirit kind of nudged me and said, hey, I'm going to give you something early tomorrow morning. Um, and if you want it, you have to get up early and uh, like receive it then and stuff. And I was like, oh, all right, Lord. Like, I'll, if you wake me up, I'll do it. That was kind of my thing. I was like, all right, Lord, if you wake me up, I will, I will get up, um, which probably was not the healthiest mindset behind that. It did set an alarm. Uh, but at 5 a.m., once you know, I woke up, 
And, uh, you know, I got out of bed, and that was when the Lord was like, hey, this is what I want you to, to speak on. Um, there's just something about that where the Lord takes the things that, you know, the everyday things that we hold close, the everyday things where we're like, well, it's just my sleep. It's not that big a deal. Like, I can, I can do this later. Um, but we change the way we're thinking about it to saying, no, I want so much to be in God's presence that if getting up early is the way for me to encounter him, I'm going to do it. Not because I'm trying to earn favor with him, not because I'm trying to be extra spiritual, but because I recognize that that is a way for me to bring my self, my body, my mind, my spirit into alignment with him because it costs me something to do that. And there's an aspect of spiritual hunger that, that comes from a place of it has to cost us something. It has to be something where we are, we are saying no to other things so that we can say yes to the right things. And so I just encourage you this morning to think through what are the small decisions that you're making. Don't start with the big one of like, what's my career? What's my like, you know, 20 year calling that I'm going to have? Start with what's the, what are those small decisions that you're making every day that are either helping you increase in your hunger for the Lord, that are helping you increase in what you are, are wanting to see um, in your relationship with the Lord. So do you have dreams with God? Do you have things that you're like, I really, in 10 years from now, I want my relationship to be at this point. I want it to be so easy for me to spend an hour in prayer with God and not to even like fat an eye, like have that be normal. Well, if you're going to start with an hour in prayer, you probably need to make it through five minutes. So what does it look like for you now to spend that five minutes in prayer with the Lord every day? What does it look like you to start with that small thing um, in your life and to make that a priority, to make that the thing that helps to, to continue to feed your spiritual hunger? One of the things I love about the kingdom of God is that with spiritual hunger in particular, the more that you hunger after the Lord, the more that you make that a priority, the hungrier you get. So it's not like the natural world where the hungrier you get, you like eat a bunch and you get satisfied and then you move on. It's something where the more that you have spiritual hunger for the Lord, the more that you, your spiritual hunger increases and the more you want. That's a wonderful thing. It's, a, it's an amazing thing when our desire for God continues to increase. All right, worship team, you guys can come up. So this morning, um, there's three things that I want us to reflect on as we kind of go into a time of worship and, and reflecting here. Um, so the first thing is to recognize that God wants you. So maybe you're at a point right now where you, you've you been tr striving, you've been trying to do the things that you feel like will bring spiritual hunger, but at the end of the day, you just keep hitting a wall. You just keep feeling like, I just don't, like, I read the word and it's really dry, or I, I, I get into prayer and I just have nothing to say. And it's possible that the reason you're doing that is because you're doing it from a performance mindset of the more I perform, the more God will love me. And then the more he loves me, like the more, the more hungry I will be. Instead of starting from the place of recognizing I am loved no matter what I do, I'm accepted, I'm valued, and I start from that place. And from that place, you continue to build that hunger for the Lord. So recognizing that he wants you. Two, when we are hungry, we sacrifice other things to meet that hunger. So what are the things that you need to sacrifice? Once again, start with the, you can start with the small things. Start with what are the day-to-day -day things that the Lord is asking me to sacrifice that are going to help increase my hunger? Am I willing to come to him with open hands of saying, whatever you want to take, whatever you want to do, I'm not going to come just from the places that I think you're going to want to take, but I'm actually going to ask you, what are the things that you want me to give up? What are the things that you want me to hold with open hands um, and use? And it takes up coming with a place of humility 
coming from a place of willing for him to do whatever he wants to do. And then the third thing is taking the steps to actually do it. Um, something I love about both of these stories is that in both stories, the person that was getting the healing had to do something. They had to take a step. It didn't happen automatically. And I think there's a spiritual truth there of just being willing to take a step, being willing to do something that helps build our faith, it helps build our hunger. And so are we willing to take those steps to do that? And so I just challenge you this morning, if there's something that the Lord is highlighting in your life, um, think about it in terms of how you're going to do it. Think about what steps are you actually going to take. Um, you know, maybe it's something that you are really wanting to see spiritual fruit in your marriage. And so you're going to take time to pray with your spouse every day. And I would just encourage you with that to, to do it, but to set even like for the next three weeks, every day we're going to pray together and then tell somebody else about it and say like, hey, can you check in in three weeks with me and see have I actually prayed? Because there's something about when we set goals and we ask somebody else to check in on us that we're like, all right, this person's going to check. I'm going to actually do it. Um, but find some tangible things, find some tangible ways that you can be obedient to what God is calling you to do in those areas. So we're going to go into the time of worship. I just encourage you, spend some time reflecting, spend some time asking the Lord. Um, if there's something that you feel like, all right, this is what the Lord put his finger on this morning. If there's something that uh, kind of came up and you kind of tried to push it down a little bit, I would encourage you. That's probably something the Lord's want to deal with. So uh, wait on him, listen to him in that. Uh, we're going to have prayer ministers. You guys can also come up here. Something that you want to pray with somebody about, uh, just encourage you, come up and get prayer. If it's something that um, you just want to grab the person next to you too, that's totally fine. You can grab the person next to you and receive prayer there. But let's just go into this time of worship with open hands for whatever the Lord wants to place in them. Thanks for listening today we would like to invite you back to our services starting at 9.30 a.m. on Sunday mornings. For more great content from Newport Church, check out newportchurch.net or visit our YouTube channel. To get the right one, search for Newport Church in Elm, PA.